in our ongoing efforts to engage with people from as many different communities as possible, we will speak to guests whose views may variously differ from or align with yours. Green Teacher is an inclusive space and we welcome people from all backgrounds, perspectives and faiths in a collective spirit of collaboration and exploration. This is Talking with Green Teachers, a show where environmental educators discuss recent developments, big ideas and creative approaches to teaching green. In this episode... That, that was a huge eye-opening moment for me that I am not the only self-professing Christian who also cares about connecting to nature. And so finding all of that, I feel, kind of gave me permission to keep going forward and bring those paths together. On this fall morning, the land is clothed in muted grays and browns, especially in the hour just before sunrise. In the meadow to the west, most of the year's blossoms have faded, apart from the odd goldenrod. The forest to the east, now largely devoid of leaves, runs parallel to the meadow for the length of a split rail fence. This fence marks the transition point between two habitats, an ecotone where a mid-sized tree adorned with bright orange berry clusters commands attention. This mountain ash is brimming with life and energy in an otherwise sleepy landscape. For any naturalist, it's an irresistible sight. Ian chatted with naturalist and published children's author Jared Goodikunz about how two parallel paths have converged in his life. So you're one of a, a rare breed of person who can call themselves a professional naturalist. How does it feel to be a professional naturalist? It uh, feels really good. <laughs> I, uh, I have made my way to a place where uh, someone gives me money to do exactly what I would be doing, even if no one was giving me money to do it. Yeah. If you do what you love, you never work a day in your life, as they say. I don't know who they <laughs> are, but somebody said that. <laughs> So a lot of naturalists talk about having a spark moment or a, a moment that really expedited their interest in nature. Can you identify any singular moment or is it maybe a series of moments? So I grew up always being fascinated by animals, especially, um, as funny as it sounds, I can thank Pokemon to some uh, degree as to why I am where I am today. That kind of triggered in me the uh, discovery and exploration of just animals having unique powers. Now, of course, real animals don't breathe fire. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, a cuttlefish has an amazing ability to change their color and texture or even closer to home, a jumping spider can fill their back legs with fluid and jump many lengths their own body. Like those are real things that happen. and That's crazy. So Pokemon honestly got me starting about that. So I collected animal encyclopedias and all that growing up. But the kind of change as far as, you know, wanting to do this and actually enjoying all of the nature around me here in Ohio happened Uh, one day at the bookstore, I picked up Carl Safina's book, Beyond Words, about animal emotion and cognition. 
And I always just would peruse the animal books like, oh, I don't have this one yet or whatever. But I, I like to sometimes gather a bunch of knowledge and then not do a lot with it. So Fair enough. <laughs> I was looking at yeah. yes, gathering more knowledge. But this book really not just spoke to my brain, but spoke to my heart. And I was like, oh, my goodness, you know, animals have feelings like in my brain, they had cool powers, but they were just kind of automatons who fulfilled their ecosystem roles and died. And um, but this Carl Safina's book kind of blew up my brain in that regard of holy cow, like that Robin I see outside has an opinion about what's happening right now. And um, that was kind of mind blowing. And then paired that with what a Robin knows by John Young, uh, which really explored bird language and further went into animal emotions. It, it was those kind of that pair of books in my adulthood here that really got me past the animals have cool powers to holy cow, animals are living, feeling, thinking beings who are worthy of respect just as much as myself. And so that connection is what really got me like, man, I want to go outside and meet these individuals, not just, oh yeah, there's a, another bug, but holy cow, you know, this is Bob the ant or whatever, like, um, sure. Yeah, that the, the recognizing animals as individuals with emotions is really what took me over the edge, so to speak. And anyone who's had a pet can certainly relate to that. Even animals that are deemed as not being as emotionally or intellectually complex. And I know when I used to work in the provincial parks here in Ontario, some of my colleagues and I used to, to joke that certain species had little or no awareness of themselves or their environment around them, or that they maybe didn't even know that they were alive. And those two books that you just mentioned really poke a hole in that concept. And certainly there are different degrees of awareness of surroundings and emotional complexity, but a Robin is not the same as every other Robin. As you say, there are individuals within each of these communities and absolutely fascinating to explore that. The naturalist road is a road that's obviously had a significant impact on your life, but so has your involvement in Christianity. So what role has Christianity played in your life? I guess you could say the a better question would be what role has it not played in my life? So, mm -hmm. so just a brief overview. I, I was raised in the Christian church uh, here in the United States and Ohio. So my whole life here in Ohio. So I was um, raised in the church uh, with my parents and, uh, you know, going to youth group and, Sunday school and all that good stuff. Um, as a kid, you know, it's just, especially in a Christian family, it's just what you're supposed to do. And it's just part of life. But in high school, I really started to take ownership of my faith and my relationship with God as my, my own distinct relationship apart from my parents. I was part of a youth group called Young Life, which is a, a national youth group or a Christian organization here in the United States. I believe they have a presence elsewhere, perhaps in Canada. I'm not sure. But anyway, they, uh, my football coach, I played football. My football coach was a young life leader. So he invited me to come to this thing. So I came to this thing and we played silly games. And then somebody came up and talked about Jesus at the end. And I was like, oh, well, that's interesting. I, uh, I'm kind of curious about this. And so I got more involved with that to the point that I did it through high school. I would go to their summer camps. And then I actually became a young life leader myself in college um there's those dogs i told you about okay, um, it's natural yeah, yes right um i became a young life leader in college 
and that's actually where I met my wife. So, you know, being involved in these Christian organizations has had a massive impact on me personally. But honestly, I, I would say, like, the big thing is that regardless of, like, how the world changes and how my circumstances change and, you know, my actions, because, you know, I'm certainly not perfect, so I make a lot of mistakes and stuff like that. No matter what happens, God and my relationship with him like can't be broken and God does not change and he doesn't throw me away when I make, you know, a sad choice or whatever. All that to say that um, Christianity and my relationship with God has been a constant that has given me um, hope. And I guess I would say like a safe place, even during, you know, you know, I've had some unfortunate experiences in my life, you know, even during those or during, you know, scary things of, uh, you know, pandemic and other things like that. You know, it's the relationship with God and the community that comes from that within the church. is just a great source, I would say, of hope and consistency. Not surprisingly, most of the activity in the mountain ash is from a flock of about 30 robins. It's been the same for the better part of two weeks. The robins are not alone, though. In a similar vein, what role has nature and your interest in nature played particularly during these difficult and challenging times yeah for sure um a big giant one so i during this pandemic i worked from home for the first two and a half months of it and i live on six acres of wood and prairie and so i uh, was fortunate enough to have space to stretch out and awesome nature right outside my back door to connect with. And so I would say it's definitely been a huge calming aspect on me during all this, you know, unpredictable craziness changing day to day uh, that I can every day go outside and I know, you know, what's blooming. I know who's out there buzzing around and I can go find them and just spend some time doing what I call a magic spot. Other people call it a sit spot, but just sitting outside yep. and just letting, you know, nature happen around you. And it's been very therapeutic. Your grounding in Christianity and your passion for nature are paths that certainly do not exist independent of one another. Can you identify a particular moment when those two paths converged or has it been more of a step-by-step -step process? So they were, I feel for the most part, very separate, parallel, but very separate for my childhood and early adult years um, in that I've since changed significantly, but the denomination of Christianity that I grew up in kind of viewed the earth as a temporary place to meet Jesus. And then you get out of here and the earth is destroyed. So there's no point in really caring about it right now because it's only going to be here for a second anyhow. Yeah. Now I flatly reject that. Um, but <laughs> yes, I, uh, so growing up, you know, I mean, I thought animals were cool and had cool powers, but you know, I mean, it, it's not in my mind, it wasn't that important. And so when I read those books that I mentioned earlier, the Carl Safina's Beyond Words and John Young's, uh, What a Robin Knows, I kind of had a existential moment of, you know, holy cow, like animals are individuals with feelings. I can't not care about that. Or I, I can't, now that I know that, I can't do nothing about it and just go back to the way I've been living. But also, 
I'm not going to throw my anchor of my relationship with God away over some robins. And so right. uh, it, I was kind of forced to like, I, I have to look at this now. I have to look at both of these realms of my life because one of them, the nature connection part has now vastly changed and something has to happen. And so that is when I started I read a lot. So I read, you know, approximately 500,000 books and articles and sermons and scripture because nature and nature and nature's role in our faith and God's view of nature is present in the Bible. A lot of people will say it doesn't talk about environmentalism in there, but that's not true. I would be happy at a later time or to write down all the verses you could go check out. But anyway, I read those. I read a book called For the Beauty of the Earth by Stephen Buma Prediger. I read Caring for Creation by Ed Brown. I read, like I said, a litany of other sermons and articles. And I was so happy to find other people who, who have a real relationship. I mean, it's not my job to judge, I guess, if the relationship is real, but who have a relationship with God and value faith and who also at the same time value creation and being stewards of the earth and appreciators of the artistry all around them. That, that was a huge eye-opening moment for me that I am not the only self-professing Christian who also cares about connecting to nature. And so finding all of that, I feel, kind of gave me permission to keep going forward and bring those paths together because there was already a worn path there. This is, a, I think, a really important reminder that there's this, I think, fairly significant misconception about the relationship between nature and many forms of spirituality, but in this case, Christianity. I mean, when, when people, some people, when they hear the word creation, they think creationism, and that's diametrically opposed to scientific principles, theory of evolution, and so on. And for you, that doesn't have to be the case and, and is not the case. Exactly. Yeah. I, uh, I think there has been a lot of, I would say, wasted breath and resources, but I'd also say just unfortunate, like unnecessary suffering and um, mm -hmm. anger and other things based on the debate of, you know, 6,000 year old world of creationism versus the much older world and the, you know, theory of evolution those in my mind don't have to be separate i i say that i mean honestly the principles behind the theory of evolution are very complex and very interesting and i mean in my mind everything was made and it says so in the bible to bring glory to god and how does him creating through evolution how does that not bring him glory i mean i couldn't come up with the system of evolution it's an amazing thing that works and so to me evolution could just be another part of his masterful design and i think that we can spend our time and our breath and our emotions you know in a better place we hear so much about one side versus the other and that's a pervasive narrative in a lot of social media it's a pervasive narrative narrative in a lot of mainstream media unfortunately and in a way, we're conditioned right from an early age to think that there are sides and that nary shall these sides cross. And as you say, it, it's a lot of wasted anger, a lot of wasted energy, and just wasted opportunity overall. Certainly. Yeah. And I mean, 
for any Christian person who may be listening to this and might be like, what? He likes evolution or he agrees with evolution or any of that. And, you know, thinks that I might be going to their side, quote unquote, I, I would just say, I mean, Jesus himself, even if you think that certain scientific principles are inherently wrong and even evil, Jesus himself, he spent time with the people who you might not want to spend time with. And he spent time with all kinds of different people. So even if you don't accept evolution or other scientific principles, to me, that's still not an excuse to, you know, not cross that line or not engage those people in thoughtful dialogue because the person who we say is the most important, Jesus Christ, uh, he did that every day. So I would say this us versus them, that is not something that is found in the Bible, at least not in a good light. No, and I think one of the positive offshoots of this underlying narrative of us versus them is people responding to that by saying, let's get in a room with people who disagree with one another and let's talk. And even if the end result is that we still disagree, we've at least heard each other. We're empathetic towards each other. We understand where each other is coming from. And we can leave by shaking hands, you know, clinking a glass and just having respect and being able to say, you do you, I'll do me. And that's okay. That's fine. Certainly. Certainly. I, I work with young children and that is uh, that is a message that we try to uh, instill in them every single day. Yeah. And you live in the States. I live in Canada, countries with a lot of diversity in many ways, ethnic diversity, language diversity, and so on. And we've got people with so many different beliefs and why do they have to disagree or why do they have to be opposed to one another? I should say. Certainly. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, looking back at nature, you can see, yes, there's competition and other things happening, but all of those beings to some degree rely on each other to exist. We, you and I, and many of the people listening to this understand ecosystems and, all, and niches and all of that. And so we as humans, we need nature, but we also need each other. So we shouldn't be in the business of pulling out you know, the bricks, getting rid of the people we don't like, we should be in the business of putting in the mortar and figuring out how we can stick together. It's time for a short break. We'll be right back. Hey folks, it's Ian here. I just want to let you know about our two nonprofit books, Teaching Kids About Climate Change and Teaching Teens About Climate Change. Each one serves as a toolbox with ready-to-use hands-on lessons which are focused on four dimensions of climate change. Global warming, climate instability, consequences of global warming, and climatic flip. If you're interested in placing an order, just visit us at greenteacher.com. We also have special rates available for bulk orders. A smaller brown bird hops to the upper right hand part of the tree, a hermit thrush, no doubt spending most of its recent time in the adjacent forest. No meadow dwelling species have arrived yet, but it's still early. I like that image you brought up about Pokemons and certainly, or a few years ago, I think it was 2016, I want to say 2016 was the Pokemon Go craze and yeah. people were going around in family groups with their data on their phone and they were going out and they were collecting things that appeared on a digital screen. And I think a lot of naturalists kind of smirked and said, well, I've been doing that with a butterfly net for years and years. <laughs> And I can actually look at the butterfly. I can actually feel its wings in the net. I can even pick it up gently, hopefully, by the body. 
And I think some naturalists maybe have a tendency to miss that broader picture, the ecological connections, the fundamental principles of biodiversity, how species are interconnected, not just in the food chain, but a material that drops from a tree could be used in a bird's nest and so on. And taking that ecological approach of interconnectivity, I know for me has certainly opened up my eyes to nature and given me a totally different understanding of nature as opposed to just these separate pieces, these separate Pokemon characters. It is very much a community. And I think that's also where a lot of the real learning happens in environmental education. For sure. Certainly, yeah. I love teaching the kids how all of the different parts interact and help each other and help them as kids and things like that. I, uh, that is one of my greatest, greatest joys. And even from a faith perspective, just again, showing just the complete complexity, awesome system that I believe that God has made. It's just great. I could look at it forever. <laughs> it is and it's all seasons and yes, you can never learn all of it. No, nope. <laughs> People ask me questions like, what's this bug? And I uh, I have to remind them almost daily, like, I, I don't know everything. And most of the stuff I do know is from the uh, iNaturalist app. So, <laughs> Yeah, iNaturalist oh, yeah. has certainly been a game changer <laughs> in yes, many, many different ways. Sure. Yes, it's my preferred version of Pokemon Go. That's a, an astute observation. Yes. Getting back to the career path and career trajectory, how have your passion for nature as well as your Christian faith informed your work specifically? So I, from a career standpoint, I started after I graduated from college, I started at a daycare center here in Ohio as a pre-K teacher teaching four and five-year-olds, pre-K being pre-kindergarten. So I just getting ready to enter the school system. So I um, did that for three years and 2016 is, 2015, 2016 is when I read those books we talked about earlier. And I was, you know, like I said, big mind-blowing moment. And that. Um, being a teacher already for a couple of years, of course, after I find something cool, my immediate thought afterward is, how can I share this with my students? And so I uh, I, I ruffled some feathers. I, I brought in um, skulls and animal skins and <laughs> things yeah. like that. Um, so everyone thinks it's awesome now at first. <laughs> having a um, all legally obtained from the Department of Natural Resources, but hanging a pelt of an otter on the wall got some attention. Um, right. But <laughs> yes, I, uh, I I started just going for it. Whatever, any way that I could bring nature into the classroom and start talking about it, I did. And then I, I was blessed. She's since moved on to a, a another role, but I was blessed at the time to have an amazing um, boss who saw my passion and believed in me and she was the owner. So she had the ability to say yes to, you know, my dreams and my dreams were to bring a nature program because we already had people come and do music and um, teach Spanish and gymnastics and all those things are great. But I I wanted to do a nature program where weekly I would come and we would talk about different Uh, aspects of the local nature around us and play silly games and all that stuff. And she was like, okay, go for it. We'll pay you to do it. So I was like, awesome. So I started to do that. And after doing that for a little bit is when the time of me wondering if this agrees with my faith outlook, I was like, man, should I really be investing like my time and effort in this? Is this a thing that matters? Like, am I just kind of a fun distraction or is this a worthwhile thing to devote my career to because at the time I was just doing it on the side for 
a couple hours a week and the majority of my time was still being a everyday teacher in a classroom. Yeah. And so that's when I read those books. I talked to people, I read articles, I prayed. That's a big part of, of it too. And um, you know, talked to my wife and I was like, yes, this is valuable. And in fact, in my brain, you know, one of the, one of the ninja, so to speak, goals behind my nature program is that these children and their families, because I, I care about the whole family, not just the kid in my class. And these kids and their families, I hope, will start to look with a sense of wonder at the nature that's even outside or at the park or in their neighborhood or in their backyard or on their playground or wherever. And then I think God intends his nature points back to him. I mean, the Psalms and other parts of the Bible are full of showing how specific phenomenon in nature points to specific characteristic of God. And so kind of my secret ninja goal behind my nature program, if they want, is that this sense of awe and wonder would then lead them to maybe a deeper spirituality. So I would say after confirming that, yes, this is a worthwhile pursuit, I began doing monthly outings where the families as well as the kids would all meet me at a local metro park. We have an amazing system of parks here in Ohio. We're very blessed. Um, yeah would meet me at a park that have what's called natural play areas where it's literally a open, like it's a, it's a forested area, but it's kids can do anything they want. They can climb, they can dig. Like it's not a protected sanctuary. It's a, this is a natural space we're giving to the children to connect with it in any way they so choose. And so we would go to those with the families. And my first day of doing one of those Saturday adventures, I came home and I told my wife, yes, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is where God wants me this is it. And since then, I have just found more and more ways to do that more and more often. Um, obviously, with pandemic, some things are a little different here. We're not really gathering up as groups and exploring together. Um, but yeah, any way we can, we're making it work. Um, and it, it was from that first adventure that I knew that these paths in my life belong together and that I believe this is where God wants me. I guess in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that would fit under the self-actualization category. Yes. A wonderful goal to strive for. Sure enough, a denizen of the grasslands arrives. No, wait. False alarm. Keep looking. They'll come. Before we finish off, peering into the future, and of course the future is incredibly uncertain on a global scale with the pandemic, but for you, what do you envision as being a next step? Well, in the very short term, I know listeners can't see it but ian i'll show you since we're on video my desk area currently what i'm showing you here is i have quite a native seed storing and sorting operation going here it's many stacks of many seeds yes i've got lots of i'd love to um i would love to gush about all the species i have but i won't do that here um but we can, we can do a list if, if need be right um so the, the reason I'm doing that is like, I, I do have land here, um, but also I am just really excited about giving seeds away or bartering seeds or however you want to do it. But I want to give a lot of these into the hands of the families at the schools because I'm still doing my naturalist job of social distancing. We're doing it all outdoors, which of course comes naturally. It's perfect. Absolutely. But yeah, so 
I'm getting to see the kids, but I don't get to see the families at all anymore. And I do miss seeing the parents and um, kind of helping them get over that initial level of discomfort outside. So I have this big operation going on with hopes of giving out native seeds to lots of families, which is great because these native seeds in November, you literally throw them on the ground and you walk away. And then in April, you have Black Eyed Susans. It's very exciting. So in the very short term, I am full seed mode. My wife can tell you that she is tired of talking about plants, um, <laughs> but I am super jazzed about it. But in the long term, you and I, Ian, have been talking a lot about it. And, you know, these, these paths of Christianity and uh, nature being together, I really felt after, you know, learning about Green Teacher Magazine through uh, our mutual friend, Dave Bauer and I really felt that kind of exploring with you guys the realm of Sunday school, which seems weird for a nature connection to some people, but to me it's perfect and like a great opportunity. And so long-term, there is a Sunday school curriculum about getting to know God through his creation and uh, having empathy and connection to nature. Uh, that is deep in the work. So as you, as you already know, but There'll be more about that later for anyone listening. But yeah, I am extremely excited about that because as you might imagine in my uh, school, it might be a secret ninja goal as far as people getting close to creation and therefore the creator. But I do not stand up and proselytize whatsoever in front of the children and in front of the families. And so, and that is totally fine and appropriate. But to have the opportunity to directly make something that comes out and talks about the God that I love and the nature that I love together, that's super exciting. That is what is coming down the road. But for now, milkweed seeds. Milkweed yes. seeds and best of luck to all the monarchs moving through, feeding on milkweed or feeding on yes. milkweed, goldenrods, New England aster, and making oh, their yeah. way down to Mexico. Yes, yes, for sure. Well, thank you so much for joining us and allowing us to explore how these two paths have converged and how they support each other now and, of course, down the road. Oh, for sure. It's my genuine pleasure. As you might know, I uh, like to talk, so thanks for giving me an opportunity to talk some more. <laughs> By the time the bluebirds arrived from the meadow, the robins had left, as had a flock of about 25 cedar waxwings. The hermit thrush has come and gone from the forest three or four times. It's back now in the mountain ash, meticulously nabbing berry after berry, while two bluebirds do likewise in the outer part of the same branch. The first ray of morning sun peeks over the horizon. Talking with Green Teachers is co-hosted by Ian Shanahan and me, Sofia Vargas Nessi. We also voice all ads. Ian serves as the show's writer and editor. Our logo design is by Devin Terian. Look for our monthly episodes on greenteacher.com. For access to all episodes, subscribe to Green Teacher and also receive our quarterly magazine, as well as exclusive access to our vast archive of webinars and magazine back issues. Thank you for joining us on this episode. We'll chat again soon.